What's up, guys? Ryan Horn here, and welcome to the Extraordinary Man Podcast. This is the one and only podcast specifically designed to help married businessmen create more profit and purpose in their business without sacrificing their family, health, or marriage in the process. Each week, I interview some of the world's most extraordinary men, including seven- and eight-figure entrepreneurs, elite athletes, best-selling authors, and world-class speakers. Jim Padilla is on a mission to help entrepreneurs and purpose-driven thought leaders untangle themselves from the day-to-day minutiae of seeking leads and sales for their business. And he would love to share his industry-leading sales system and strategies so entrepreneurs can go from six-figure success to seven-figure freedom. Jim, welcome to the Extraordinary Man podcast. It's great to have you on. How are you doing today? I am fantastic, man. Better than I deserve. Um, let's live in a blessed life. Amen. All right. Well, I would love to jump in and hear a little bit more of your backstory. You've been an entrepreneur for a long time. So can you tell us a little bit more of your backstory? Yeah. Um, uh, happy to do so. And again, thanks for having me on. I really, you know, appreciate the honor to to serve your your uh, audience. And um, you know, I, I've been an entrepreneur, they like said, for going, you know, 30 years now. I've been building and crashing businesses most of my adult life and even, you know, started running businesses when I was in in school, even in elementary school. Um, I was I was born in a kind of an abusive environment. So um parents did the best they could with what they had, but they didn't, they didn't have a lot to to do with. So I, I became the the test dummy and I got very abused and um, ended up in foster care, you know, at 13 and then on the streets at 16 and gangs and then in jail at 19. And, um, you know, the, there was no God or love in my home. There was just get stuff done, try to survive. And I spent, you know, the first 20 years of my life, literally spending every minute of every day learning how to read the room and read my environment so that I could see how to influence people into my direction so that they would see me as an ally instead of a threat. And that was, that was how I, my, was my survival mechanism. And, you know, little did I know that, you know, fast forward 20 years down the road and, uh, you know, made millions of dollars teaching other people how to read the room, how to influence the environment. So people would see you as an ally and not a threat, which is really one of the biggest reasons why people don't buy is because they feel guarded in some level. And so your job is to defuse that. And we've, we've made a, a, a business and an art of, of being able to get that done. And uh, so, you know, I've been had businesses crash and burn for years. Like I said, I, I was, I, my first formal official business was a, a um, alarm company. We, we had teams going door to door through cities in, in central California um, and, you know, f- phone room, t- phone room, door knocking teams, installers. We were, we were blowing up pretty well. We took some big gambles and, and it didn't quite pay off and we lost some things. Uh, spent, you know, some time in, in mortgage until 2008, took a big crash there primarily because we weren't running business, right? We were just making money. We were just, we were making money, putting people in bad loans, which is a bad business model. And uh, God giveth, God taketh away. And uh, we, we didn't, we weren't stewards of it correctly, but that's when I started recognizing that I had an incredible skill set, but I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And uh, I started recognizing that if I'm going to have an impact on people, I had to change what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I started putting my skill sets to use to serve people instead of to serve me. And I took everything out of the sales process that made me left me feeling less than stellar and that wasn't of use to the client. And so now it's just all about serving people powerfully. And then the money comes as the outcome instead of the money becoming the thing you chase. Amazing. I love your perspective on things too. The you know, the skills that you learned 
growing up, you're now using, right? So that's really cool. But yeah, let's jump right into it. So how do you help people create a sales pipeline? Yeah, well, our, you know, basically what we do is, um, you know, right now our current business format is that we've been in for the last eight years plus is a fractional sales division. We're an outsourced sales company. And what we do is step into people's brand to uh, become an extension of you. So as opposed to a closing team, which is what a lot of people do and they, you know, would show up at the end of the pipeline, sell all your stuff. We're not interested in selling all your stuff. We're interested in serving all your prospects with a great experience that leads to sales. And whether that sale happens in the moment or six, 12, 18 months down the road, in order for that to happen, you have to be able to treat them a certain way, deliver a branded seamless experience so that they feel like they're talking to the the client, the customer. And then you have to be, you have to be relevant and valuable in somebody's world over time so that they still want to move forward with you, even if they're not ready to buy anything right now. So that when the time comes that they're ready to buy, you're the person that they're buying from. And I don't understand how people in the sales game today don't work pipelines because that's where most of your sales come from. 90% of your sales come from people after they get into your world. And everybody spends 90% of the time trying to squeeze every nugget from people in the first 30 days that they're in your world. And then they just kind of toss them to the curb or leave them to nurture and broadcast emails. And that's not how you serve people over time. That's really good. Some really powerful stuff that you said there. So, I mean, follow-up is incredibly important. So how would you recommend people follow up? Like they get a lead and maybe the person's not ready to buy right now, but what are some practical things people could do? Yeah. uh, You know, the the thing really, you have to have a philosophy on follow-up first. Like what is your philosophy? Um, There's a lot of different ways to approach it, right? You want to be there when people need you. You want to be there like for us as being relevant and valuable and present over time. But at the end of the day, the, the driving force for this is that we follow up until they buy or die. That's our philosophy because you can't tell me, you can tell me today that you're not ready for this today. You can't with any predictable certainty, tell me that you won't need this six months from now because you have no idea what's going to change in your life or our life that six months from now, this might be the optimal thing. So we just want to make sure that as long as you plan on still being in business and needing to solve your problem, and as long as we still plan on being in business to gain more clients, then we want to do everything we can to optimize the possibility and the likelihood that those two intersections will meet. And so the only way that's going to happen is not by following up with people to say, hey, you're ready to buy? Hey, have you thought about it some more? Hey, you know, that that means you're just bothering people, which is why most people don't follow up because you feel like a bother. So make the intention to not be a bother. What would it take for you to show up in somebody else's world once a week or every three days? Like we actually have our, our key philosophy. Once you first make an offer to somebody, we want you to show up in their world seven times over 21 days. And most people are like, that's just crazy. That's a lot. Well, what would it take for you to not be an intrusion? and show up that frequently in somebody's world so they can get cemented. If they know that every time you send them an email or a text message uh, or a voicemail, that it's deliver- it's dripping with value. And they know that when they open it, they're going to get served because you're giving them something of resource. You're giving them something that is for them based on the conversation you had with them. And that they know that every time they open it, they're not feeling threatened or pushed or driving to buy something. They're simply getting value, whether it's a piece of content, some third-party validation, uh, an article that you read somewhere. It has nothing to do, it doesn't have to be your own content. It's just you're showing up and saying, I was listening. And here's the theme that we're always looking for. Your, so your message doesn't have to say this in words, but it has to say this in, 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 in theme. Hey, I was thinking about you and I have an idea. If you can send messages that impart that into people, they will always open your email. They will always check your message. Even if they don't open in the moment, you know how it is. There's people you want to hear from that I, I'm going to highlight it and I'm going to star it and I'll get back to it versus just ignore it or delete it. 
because you're somebody that they know is a high priority person that they want to get open because you've demonstrated that all you're going to do is give to them and serve them so that when you're ready and that webinar is coming up in a few weeks or that workshop or that event, you, you're not just saying, hey, buy my ticket to an event. You're saying, hey, Ryan, I remember when we spoke, you said you were really struggling with the feast or famine and starting to make you feel less than confident. I'm interviewing uh, an expert on mindset to really help you understand or uh, that's going to address the, what you're feeling around that feast or famine. This webinar is going to be perfect for you. It is way different than a broadcast email that says register for my mindset email, my webinar on Friday, right? It's a personal connection. So the idea is your sales team can do this because they're going to be building a relationship with your audience as an extension of you building a relationship, which is the opposite of nurture because nurture is typically automated and there's nothing wrong with it. It's supposed to be in addition to, not instead of, but that's really all it is. We have a ton of systems and processes and what goes in it and how you do it, but, but that's the core of it is you just need to be, if you know, you need to be intentionally valuable and relevant, which guess what takes work and effort. Yeah, that is really good. I mean, so many nuggets from that. And and I can attest to, I mean, following up and, and continuing to add value to people. I just signed a, a client up that uh, my first contact was like seven, eight months ago, right? So definitely something important to do. I'm curious. So I've never heard the the seven reach outs in uh, 21 oh, seven, days. Seven over 21 days. Yeah. Seven over 21 days. So I'm guessing that that's through multiple modalities. Is that right? Yeah. Seven touch points over 21 days. And that can come in email, come from a text, a voicemail, voicemail drop. There's a number of ways, but if the key is, you know, the first, you know, the first impressions are always the big ones, right? But the second, third, fourth, fifth, you're every, all the successive impressions after that are, they decrease in intensity over time. So if you just send them one thing now and another thing three weeks or four weeks from now, then you've only had two touch points in the first 30 days. And those two touch points in comparison to the 10,000 other inputs that they've had from the world are diluted. So you want to say, I get you. I'm for you. I got something here. I'm listening and I care. And they're going to see this over and over for the first few weeks and this intensity. And then they're going to go, wow, okay, there's something here. Then you back off and then you let nurture work. But now because you've delivered so much value in your personal connection that the nurture, that stuff you have automated will now appear more valuable because they've already, you've already demonstrated that you have something for them, right? So then you give them time off from your personal touch. And then after a month, you jump back in again, right? Because you have to remember, most people aren't opening all your things. So you might send 70, that's too many. But what if they only open three of them? Now, is it too many, right? But if you only send two, and if they were only going to open one or two, they may not open any, right? So you want to be present, top of mind and valuable, right? And that's the stuff that it, it's simple. Everybody gets it, but it takes time. It takes time to be relevant. You have to actually sit down and think about this person and the journey they're on and the pains and the problems that the things, the decisions they're trying to make before they make the big decision to buy from you. And how can you solve those problems and move them forward? Yeah. So important. And like you said, it's not anything groundbreaking, but it is going to take a little bit of, it's going to take some time and, and some effort and some thought, not just throw them on this automated email list. So one of the things that you do is help business owners go from six to seven figures. What are some of the biggest differences you see between a six-figure business and a seven-figure business? Uh, you know, it's interesting because most people think running a seven-figure business is harder right? Six-figure business stuff. You can you can have a six-figure business purely by hustle. You don't have to be great at what you do. You don't even have to be that smart. You just need to move, right? I mean, think about it. If you're selling 5K product, you only need 20 people to buy that over 12 months. That's not a lot. That's just a lot of effort movement. But then you're going to reach a point of saturation and you're going to have to figure out how do you get beyond yourself. And one thing that people don't, don't know, um, that the seven-figure business is actually easier to run than a six-figure business. 
because now you're starting to replicate yourself. You're starting to put systems in place. You're starting to lean into the things you do best and you're starting to use more of your brain and less of your hands, right? So you're starting to put people in place to be able to replicate you in certain areas. You might have 27 roles in your company and you play all 27 roles, but at the clo- as you start climbing and scaling, you start playing fewer of those roles and it's getting smarter uh, in making those decisions. And that's really the biggest difference between seven and then going from seven to, you know, to multi-seven and eight figures is people, you start to focus less on the day-to-day tangibles and you're starting to think more about how do I impact people at scale? And so now you say, well, if I, you know, start think, making smarter decisions, like I can be on this call with one person and solve a problem greatly. What if I were to put 10 other people on this call or a hundred and solve their problem the same way. And now you're leveraging the opportunity for yourself to solve people's problems at scale. And almost every skill set and everything you do has the cap- capacity for that. Most people don't recognize it because they're so used to turning every screw and being the one feeling like, well, if I'm, if I'm working with you one-on-one, I'm going to give you the best outcome. And I can't replicate that with a group. I got news for you. I, I would guarantee that whatever you're doing can be done in a leverage format. Yeah, so true. Do you find that uh, there's resistance between people when they're trying to go from six to seven figures of of hiring people because they either want to do it themselves, like you said, perfectionist, or they don't want to manage a team? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of fears. It, you know, the six to seven figure journey is a huge one because it's where um, you start. You're it, a lot of you know I don't like the term, but the, the imposter syndrome shows up because I talk to people all the time like, well, I don't want the headache of a seven figure business. I'm like that's clearly sp- the spoken words of somebody who doesn't understand a seven figure your business because all your headache is in the six-figure business because you're the one that's killing yourself to gross six figures and a six-figure gross is pretty gross because it leaves you with not much net, right? So you can't actually accomplish much in the world with a six-figure business. And so you need to be thinking about how do I exponentially increase my ability to serve? Um, and and you have to understand that you, you're going to be able to take hands off of things. And, um, and too many times people feel like I, this is when we get all the time when people come to us, uh, in the sales journey. Well, you know, I, I really like doing the sales and I, and I don't see myself never selling because that's one of my favorite parts of it. Yet we have had never had one client ever in the history of our company that once we, systemize their sales process and put a sales team in place. We've never had one person come back and say, no, 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 I still want to make the sales. You know, and there's nothing, there's no disrespect in it. It's like you, you weren't, you didn't get into business to sell. You got a business to serve your clients and grow your empire and create a movement and change lives and do all those things. And selling is just a necessary evil in order to make it happen. Right. And if you're the one person, you're the founder. Of course, you can sell this product, even if there's not a great sales system or process in place, because you are the sales system and the process because you're the one knows everything. Right. Our objective is to get you to a place where an average salesperson, not a high end closer, an average salesperson can sell your product predictably and consistently without you. That's when you have a good product and a great offer and a dialed in avatar and a prospect journey that makes sense. Now you're scalable. Then all of a sudden you get excited about making money. Like you said, once somebody has that set up, they're not coming back and complaining, but it's probably the fears of, oh, is it actually going to work? Can they actually sell it? All of those things. But uh, you you talk about getting out of the day-to-day of the lead generation and the selling. Why do you think that's so important? Like, What will that free up for the entrepreneur? Well, it, it will free up um, really anything that you want. You know, I mean, for those who are who are watching on the video, if you're not, just imagine this chair that I'm pointing to, and that is my thinking chair. The only I do nothing in that chair except read my Bible and think. I have whiteboards and flip charts all over here, and I think I, I have space and time in my day for me to just 
think about where I'm going, what I'm trying to accomplish, what new revenue streams I want to add on, what new partners play a role in that, what are the things I want to risk, what are the, what are the revenue targets, what are the added things. There's the stuff that you don't get to think about when your head is buried in the business every day. And that's really the biggest difference between a smaller and growing entrepreneur versus somebody who is at scale, right? And so, um, you know, I'm in a mastermind with it, you know, other eight figure entrepreneurs and the part of the benchmark criteria of being in this group at eight figures is not because he just wants to be around a bunch of high rollers or whatever. And that's not a high roller. I hang out with billionaires who, you know, make more in a minute than I've made in my lifetime. But he's when you're at that at at that level, you're not you're not posturing every day. And you're not talking about how do I make more money? You're talking about impact and scale and significance and leverage. And you're talking about things that actually change the world and make a difference. So that's why he has that criteria because he doesn't want to have conversations about your client, my client, all that stuff, because that's not what we're talking about, right? And it's the same thing in the in the six-figure to seven-figure journey. When the more the person who can think about the greater levels of impact, and here's probably the greatest distinction point. So write this one down. Somebody at six figures is still thinking about what do I need to do every day? Somebody who's moving in seven figures and beyond is starting to think about what can I impact? What can I do and what can I impact are two completely different thought processes that can still serve the same thing. But when it says, what can I do? That means what do I have time in my day and bandwidth to actually put my hands on, right? But if you do this, here's what I challenge my team with. I just challenge my wife with all the time. She runs our company. I, I'm not, I don't do it. She works 10 times harder than I do. I'm the visionary. She's the one that does all the work and leads our team and makes sure everything works. But I'm always challenged them. I, I go in my wife's office and I say, stand up. So stand up. I say, put your hands in your pocket. I say, now solve problems, right? When her hands are free, she's typing stuff, directing stuff, leading, delegating, ed- editing, overseeing, approving. When your hands are in your pockets, the only thing you can do is think and communicate. And be amazed at the kind of problems that can be solved because you're not solving them. You're ensuring they get solved. And those are two completely different perspectives. Yeah, that is a huge mindset shift. The amazing stuff you're sharing there. And I see that all the time too. People get so caught up, especially if you're just at the six-figure level, you get so caught up of working in the business versus working on the business and casting the vision and, and all of that. So great points that you brought up there. Uh, why do you think most entrepreneurs fail? Um, largely, I mean, I, I want to avoid getting too esoterical and woo-woo on this stuff, but most people fail because they mostly expect it to fail. And it's not that they think they're going to fail. It's just that if you you only have, there's only positive and negative. There's no such thing as neutral, right? Except in a car. And um, But even in neutral, you're going to roll forward or backward, <laughs> right? So, um, But when you, if you're not directly, intentionally focusing on winning, then by default, you're trying to prevent yourself from losing, which means you're focusing on losing. And kudos to you if you've gained six figures, because that's a big benchmark for most people. And I'm not trying to minimize anything that that happened at that level, but just know that that's just the beginning, right? If you're really trying to make impact in the world. And so you, the only way you're going to get through the barriers that you've got is you must have an actual intention of becoming a seven-figure business, of becoming somebody who's impacting millions of lives or tens of thousands of lives or changing the world at scale, or you have to have that. It has to be an intention. And then because only when you have the intention, can you get any kind of clarity on that path? And clarity is the greatest attractor. Greatest is the greatest, excuse me, clarity is the greatest factor towards you actually accomplishing. Because when you can see it clear, you can focus in on it. And when you can focus in on it, you're going to take action towards it, right? So that means by default, you actually have to plan for success. And I believe you're going to make it. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think most people, if they don't have a big enough vision, that doesn't get them excited because they don't realize that it's going to take them. Uh, it's going to be harder than they think. There's going to be more obstacles than they think, right? Especially with with today's day and age with social media. And you know, it looks like entrepreneurship is just awesome and it's easy. You go start a business and boom, you're at seven figures, but it, it's not right. quite that easy, right? <laughs> 
Right. Well, and you know, I mean, we're talking to men here, right? We're talking about Extraordinary Man podcast, which means every man listening here is either sees himself as an extraordinary man or wants to, and is on the journey, at least in the conversation. And I got news for you. You know, as long as you're still here, as long as you're on the right side of the grass, you got purpose and you got position and impact. And that means God ain't done with you, if you're, right? And in today's economy, it's tough on men because the world is telling men that we're not used, that we're not needed that we're useless, that we are overbearing. We were over, over, you know, we're out kicking the coverage, you know, and, and quite honestly, we are just not doing what we know we should be. We not, we need to stop taking our cues from the marketplace, stop taking our cues from the world and culture and society and start taking them from God, start taking them from inside. You know what you're here for. You know what gifts you have, and you know that those gifts were not for you. The only way those gifts materialize and mature is by you being a great steward of them and giving them away. God gave you your gifts for the benefit of us and everyone else. So you need to be dialing in on zeroing that in and making it great. And, and you know, become, my friend of mine called me the other day, we were talking about money and sometimes I get, I struggle. I, I, I think I was sharing this with you a little bit when the last time we spoke, Ryan, but um, you know, the more money I make, sometimes I get very self-conscious as a man of God. Cause I'm like, I don't want to, am I supposed to be making this kind of money? Am I supposed to, I don't know wealth, you know, cause you get so confused sometimes in scripture and don't pursue wealth and you can't have two gods and all that. And all they're saying is you can't make money your God. But when God gives you a gift and a blessing, and if you don't use it and shepherd it and steward it, well, he's going to take it away from you. Right. And so we were, I was talking about this with, with a buddy of mine who I was I'm discipling and, and he said, Jim, you're a five talents guy. You know, he goes, you're the one you know, I gave you five talents. He expect you to multiply them. Right. He's like, you have that gift. You have to do it. You have to be constantly expanding that gift so he can give you more and give you the one he's going to take from others and give it to me because I know how to, to impact the kingdom with. Right. And that's, that's what we have to do. We have to be connecting the wealth creation to our purpose and ensuring that they're in alignment. Right. And as an entrepreneur, we have the ability to literally have our business be our mission, our ministry. Yeah. Very well said. And uh, that's something that uh, it took me a while to to realize, but now I fully do that. I mean, my ministry and my business are, are basically one in the same, right? And it sounds similar to you, but I'm curious uh, what you think about this. So men tend to isolate. I know my first couple of years as an entrepreneur, you know, I bought books and courses and things like that, but I didn't reach out. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a community. And I know a lot of men struggle with that. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. And also how important investing yourself has been to your success. Yeah. Um, you know, I think as especially as purpose-minded men, easy to give. I think it's so easy to give. Um, everybody wants to give because there's, you know, it can be selfishly motivated. It makes us feel good to give. We can have significance by giving, et cetera. The part that most of us are not very good at, especially men, is receiving. We just do not receive. We don't want to ask for help. But as a giver, as a as a purpose-minded um man, you have to understand that um you're giving the you're you're giving your peers, your community, your followers, your colleagues, whomever, the greatest gift in the world by allowing us to serve you. So I can't put my gifts into action with you if you won't let me help you. Right. So you have you opening up and saying, hey brother, how can you help me? is what gives them the opportunity to shine and thrive. And then God can tell them, well done, good and faithful servant. But you're literally reducing their ability to be a great servant because you won't ask for help because you're not ready to receive help. And that, that's got to be, if you if you care about impact and purpose and at all, then you have to live into that. And, 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 and I'm not, I am the pot calling the kettle black and I'm, you know, sometimes it can be, especially as you get grow in your business, once you get beyond six figures, at six figures, you're already in the minority. Most businesses never get there. At seven figures, even less. Eight figures, even less. So you get to a place where you don't feel like you have true peer support. 
And then you don't know who to turn to to ask questions. And then there's times I've struggled with this. I'm like, well, if I ask this question, then people are going to know that I don't know that thing and I might look stupid. And how can I be a multi-seven-figure entrepreneur if I'm stupid in this area? I mean, who knows the kind of nonsense conversations I have in my head instead of just showing up and asking a question and asking who can help me and asking them to help me, (laughs) right? Whether I invest in them or not. But then that's the other side of the question you're asking, right? Is how does that lead to? First of all, you'd be amazed at what some people will do. You know, I like to help people, even if they're not, you know, I can help people that aren't necessarily clients or paying me. The biggest challenge is giving, speaking into somebody and then having them not do what you ask them to do. If you're going to trust somebody and allow them to gift, give you the, give them the gift of helping you and serving you, then you need to give the gift of acting upon the wisdom that was shared with you, right? Otherwise you're just, you're, you're blowing up the whole machine. Right. So get mentorship. And, you know, obviously, you know, you get what you pay for. I mean, there's plenty of good free wisdom, but I've invested, you know, we've invested over half a million dollars in, in our own mentorship and business. And I'm always seeking more. I want as much input and guide anything I can do to pay for collapsing timeframes. If I can solve it in six weeks by, by listening to you instead of me taking the next six months or six years to figure it out, I'm down for that. I will pay for speed. I will pay for access. I will pay for opportunity. I'm not necessarily looking to pay for information because these days you can get information just about anywhere um, and uh, and usually more of it than you need. Um, but you, as long as you can deliver an impact, help me make you know, help me make more money, help me save more money, help keep me out of jail, help do whatever the things that are necessary. You know, people will pay for it, and uh, I think you're crazy if you don't. Yeah, the the big one I think you mentioned is collapsing time because that's the one thing we can never get more of. Bring shift gears here a little bit. What are some of the pros and cons of working together in business with your wife? Um, you know, for me, it's all pros now. But that, you know, we've been doing this for almost nine years together, and we had to learn because she came from a corporate leadership. She came in corporate management. She ran Target and Old Navy and Mark Bourbon stores and stuff. And so she was used to fixing problems. And so when she retired from that and jumped into business with me, she at first was very confused and she thought she was here to manage me. <laughs> and I had to make sure she was clear. I, that, that, I wasn't looking for you to be a manager. I was you know, looking to us to be equally yoked and be some Clydesdales that can pull massive weight together. So once we got past that curve, um, we quickly learned that with the amount of capacity that we have and running a multi-million dollar business with team all over the world and multiple countries and hundreds of team and clients, we do not have the luxury of false communication or of uh, or lack of communication. You know, we, we can't fake anything. You literally, if you have something to say, you need to say it. If you have something to ask, you must ask it. You don't have the luxury. Of, I ain't talking to you today. That stuff just doesn't work because too many things at stake. And so it has enhanced our communication, our trust. Are, are the way that we leverage opportunity and, and really um, the the value that we see in each other. Cause I'm amazed at her every day when I watch how she does stuff, you know, I knew what she did when she was running, you know, hundred million dollar target stores, but I watch it every day now. And she's astounding. Right. And, you know, same thing. She sees me as the rainmaker. She, she protects my time and my space. Cause if I'm bogged down with all the details that she has of running the company, it affects my ability to think big and move big and all of that. So she's, um, you know, it, it's, it's been a f- tremendous blessing for us. Really cool to hear that. Last question for you here, Jim. What is your definition of an extraordinary man? Man, that changes. It probably changes month by month. Uh, as I grow and I change, I, I see more of that is. I, I see an extraordinary man as somebody who is humbled, um, who has, who is consistently self-reflecting, uh, somebody who is on purpose, who is, who has learned to be content with what he has while consistently striving for as much as you can get. 
and, and understanding that everything you get is on the other side of service. All your growth, all your revenue, all your rewards, everything you're going to get is all of it. 100% of it is on the other side of service and struggle. The more you're willing to struggle to grow into something bigger, the more those rewards are going to come. Love that. Everything's on the other side of service. This has been awesome, Jim. Where can people go to connect with you and find out more about you? Uh, yeah, you can go to my personal website at jimp360.com. It's jimp 360.com. And you can connect with me at all my social medias, all our websites, you find out how to work with us, you can find out how to work for us. Uh, but I want to encourage you get there and then uh, download my contact info into your phone and push the text button and shoot me a text. Give me your name info. I'm, I'm happy to send you any resource that we can on getting you ready to scale your company um, without having to break the bank and, and uh, hire a bunch of closers and do a bunch of crazy stuff with it. So, um, And most importantly, I just want to get to know you and see how I can support you on your journey as a man, uh, as a man on purpose. That's awesome. Very generous. I'll make sure there is a direct link to that in the show notes down below. But Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah. Thanks for trusting me to be part of your success team. And you guys go out, make money, make magic, make a big difference. And we'll see you on the other side. Guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Extraordinary Man podcast. Here's the thing. You're never going to maximize your potential on your own. So I'm personally inviting you to come and join me in the private Extraordinary Man Facebook group so you can level up your business and your life. Just head over to Facebook and type Extraordinary Man into the search box and it will show up as the first result. Iron sharpens iron and this is the number one place for you to connect with me and other like-minded men who are on a mission to maximize their potential. My goal is to help you become the man God created you to be in all areas of your life. So come and join us in the Facebook group and upgrade your business and your life. I'll see you on the next episode.